Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Kesha and the Creepies is a production of iHeartRadio. There are people that I know who, who are Masons who have gone through the initiation process, and I can see the difference in them as they've gone through the different steps, you know? Because it all, it's all self-reflection. Again, you know, it's like what I was talking about earlier with the bathing of the lingam. It's like another way of, like, recognizing the self. And there's, there's an actual death ritual in their initiation, like a, a, um, a symbolic death that you must go through to become a Master Mason. Welcome back to Kesha and the Creepies. Today, I am very excited to welcome my next guest. This is Robert Ryan. He's an amazing artist, tattoo artist, and friend. How are you? I'm doing well. It's great to see you. What else would you like to add to your um, job description? <laughs> my, my resume? <laughs> yeah, what's your resume? <laughs> I'm a visual artist that um, happens to have a temple for Lord Shiva in his backyard in New Jersey. <laughs> Which you're sitting in right now, I think, right? I'm sitting in the temple right now. You can see there's the, the uh, Shiva Lingam is right behind me yeah. and uh, or next to me. And um, some of the things that we've talked about before um, when I was tattooing you and just in, in friendly conversation uh, had to do with some of the, you know, like uh, the traveling that I had done spiritually or some of the pilgrimages that, that I've made. So that, that's definitely an aspect, but primarily I'm a, a tattoo artist from New Jersey. 
<laughs> but you're so much more than just a tattoo artist from New Jersey. <laughs> Being a tattoo artist from New Jersey is a pretty high. <laughs> it's pretty high in the evolutionary chain. The things you have to go through to become just that, man. It's like, it's insane. Well, you're the finest tattoo artist in New Jersey. How have you been holding up during this insane time? It's actually been the most productive, most beneficial time in my life, which I feel kind of guilty saying, but I don't feel guilty saying it at all. You know, I'm not the suffering that we're all going through collectively isn't lost on me. Yeah. But, you know, I'm trying to use it to temper my own awareness in life. I have not stopped going and going and going for since I was 21 years old. And it just was such a crazy experience. Getting used to not being really, really stressed out every day was so weird. And I'm still adjusting to it. Like waking up and not being in a panic feels really strange. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel the same way as you. Like it's not lost on me that this is a horrible time for a lot of people. And there's a lot of loss and a lot of grief. But... Being able to be with myself for a moment has been beneficial, I think. Yeah, I think also the sobering factor of like, you know, like we're always kind of trying to dodge the the inevitable of death. You know, it's like a tiger that's like waiting in a bush our entire lives. And we know it's there, but we kind of tiptoe around it. And then like to have it kind of like just knowing that like there's a very good chance that you're going to be infected with a disease that could kill you anytime you leave your house. Kind of puts something in a different kind of perspective where the mundane or banal or like trivial can become very extraordinary, yeah. you know, or the simple things in life, you can find like uh, a lot more value in things when you're able to see it through that kind of filter. For me, I'm appreciating every little thing so much more. And also, weirdly, I've had this urge to just get rid of most of the stuff I've accumulated over the past 20 years. And I'm finally opening a box and being like, oh my God, I remember that from when I was 19 years old. I haven't seen it since. Now I'm like selling my stuff on eBay because it's bringing all the people that I would be on tour with. Like they have a little tiny piece of something that's from my history and it's making space for newness. Yeah, it's like uh, spring cleaning. And uh, and it's also like an audit on all the things that we accumulate through life. When Whenever we get a chance to do that, I think it's like it's very surprising you know, how, how much things kind of just attach themselves to us. When I love stuff. Like I love (laughs) stuff. I have like so many pairs of shoes. I have so many couches. I have a lot of cats, but I'm keeping the cats. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just, my mom put it in a really funny way. She's like, well, we used to um, hunt and gather. We're just really good gatherers. I was like, oh yeah, I'm like a plus gatherer. Yeah. We don't really have to hunt too much anymore. You know, like the, the meals are prepared for us or we can, you know, like everything's uh, accessible in a market, but we still have that urge to gather. Oh, I can gather like a motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) So for those of you listening, I've gotten two tattoos from Robert. One is on my foot. It's a rainbow and clouds and an eyeball. And he also did the blue tiger crawling up my ribs. And that was the most painful thing in the entire world. But I love both of the tattoos you gave me feel really special. They feel magical. And it's hard to describe because I didn't realize kind of the gravity of how spiritual a tattoo can be. For me, it was just kind of a fun thing I would do if I was having a fun night. I'd get a tattoo. It's more like 
party scars or fun memories and like getting a stamp on my wrist of like, that was that night that I had so much fun. And then I met you and Brad was telling me all about Dan Higgs and there's a whole lineage behind what you do and the kind of tattoos you do. They're classic, but they feel spiritual. They look spiritual. Maybe it's because I know you, but they feel like their own genre. Obviously, I'm not a tattoo artist, so I don't know the terminology perfectly, but I feel like you've kind of created your own style. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, Yeah, but it is part of a lineage of tattooers that in America, we'll go back even further. We'll go back to tattooing in its origin, you know, which I think goes as far back as the oldest remains were had had markings, had tattoos, you know, so... um, the Iceman was one of them, the, the the mummified body that they found. He had like different markings and those were more to represent maybe if he had any kind of ownership of land or perhaps what he did, like if it was had something to do with agriculture or something like that. But I, I, it still was symbolism, you know, and uh, I think the intrinsic desire to mark one's body kind of goes back to the very beginnings of mankind. And it's not always in tattooing. You see it, you know, with through like makeup or face painting or piercing, or sometimes they'll put things underneath their skin, you know, in certain tribes or, yeah. you know, like a, you know, a disc in the nose or uh, things like that. And it's just like a decoration of the temple, you know, of the temple being the body. And so I think there are some American tattooers that were able to kind of tap into that same kind of energy without it becoming like too... I don't know, like they weren't trying to be these like modern primitive kind of tattooers where that kind of came a little bit later, but they were still tapping into that like kind of primal raw energy. And the thing that was like kind of struck me about them and how I kind of like fell in love with this lineage and then was eventually like kind of initiated into it were these guys that weren't, they weren't um, military tattooers. They weren't like um, sailors and they weren't like greasers or hot rod guys and they weren't like rock and roll guys. You know, they were just like these kind of like almost beat poet kind of philosophical people that started tattooing, you know. So I, I call them like the poetic tattooers. So yes. um, guys like Tom DeVita and Dan Higgs and Nick Bubash and stuff like that. A philosophical kind of tattoo artist? Uh, or poetic where, you know, there's different kind of poetic tattooing and other kind of looks too. But I feel like it, it's almost like that. I, I kind of associate it with the beats. And then maybe, you know, before the beats, the Dada, yeah. you know, it, it's using the symbols, but then also abstracting them. So there's some abstractions in, involved as well. And it's just like, it's basically just not coming from these, these genres that have always been in tattooing, like the sailors and the greasers and the hot rod kind of people, or, you know, there, there's all, all different kinds of stuff. Um, but yeah, the people that were maybe looking for tattoos, maybe to kind of more focus on themselves rather than align themselves with a certain kind of uh, occupation or, um, you know, patriotism or something like that. Right. Well, because sometimes I would see the first time I got a tattoo, by the way, was when I was in Cuba and I was walking around. My brother was like, you can't go to Cuba. And I was like, well, now I have to go to Cuba. So I went to Cuba (laughs) through Mexico, ended up walking around. I was supposed to be studying Spanish. I was not studying. I was studying how to run around and get fucked up and do crazy shit. That's what I was there studying. And this guy was 
trying to sell a couch and I was like, I can't, I don't need a couch, but, um, do you have anything else cool? And he was like, do you want a tattoo? And I was like, sure. So that's what was my first tattoo was. I went up into his apartment. He boiled the needle in a pot. He was holding a baby tattooing me at the same time. And that's my first tattoo. And ever since then I was like, Oh, this is like really special. It also helps jog my memory on my life more so than anything else. Like more so than looking at pictures, I can look at a tattoo and be like, oh, that was that time. Yeah. So it's almost like my timeline of my life is on my body. Yeah, they're amazing mile markers for where you've been and where you're going, you know, and like, and you know, like, I think they're really good to reflect on too. Yeah, some of mine suck. <laughs> I was gonna say, mine too. And I never trust anyone that doesn't have a bad tattoo. On them because True. that's part of the evolution and the people that only have good tattoos usually are kind of like more coming at it through a fashionable aspect which i don't think wrong with but they might not be trusted <laughs> <laughs> they're they're psychos i can think of one person and you're totally right he's a complete psycho and he only has perfect tattoos i would have to agree with you <laughs> but all his suits are probably folded perfectly yes. in his closet and yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, american, no, american psycho american yes. psycho yeah He's got the best business card. <laughs> it's so true. Well, then I'm really trustworthy, according to that. Um, <laughs> if you're going by that, then I'm like the most trustworthy because I have so many like shitty tattoos because I met actual good tattoo artists only in the past couple years of my life. Before that, it was just like a shit show. Can we go back to your first tattoo for a second? Sure. Because like that experience sounds incredible, you know? It like, was. <laughs> For one, it's the couches, again, following you. Like, these couches are like magnets <laughs> to you. And then the guy was boiling the tattoo needle, and, like, that was his second, you know, offering to you. Like, I can give you a couch. Oh, you don't want the couch? I can do a tattoo for you. And he has a child. It's like, and not your um, conventional tattoo, ex first tattoo experience, which I love, you know? I think that's a ma it's, it's magic, you know? It was magic. It was super magical, and... I did and you're in Cuba, illegally. Yeah, I was in Cuba. <laughs> I used to be so cool. <laughs> I got an anchor. That one I think holds up. But some of the other ones on my feet, I've I've like one on the same foot that you tattooed that's just like mush. It turned to mush like immediately. But I'm just gonna let it live. What else can you do? You can go over it, I guess. Yeah, you know, or just move on. <laughs> yeah, it's just your body. It's true. Who cares? just going to disintegrate and be, be turned into probably like a mushroom at some point. So whatever. If we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, if we're lucky. Because you're in your temple, do you mind talking about, you said Shiva's behind you? Yeah, yeah. The Shiva Lingam is the main altar in the temple that we worship here. And that's the unmanifested version of, of Lord Shiva, the god Shiva. And the loose interpretation or it's, a, it's actually a pretty precise interpretation in English is the consciousness of infinite goodness. So the Shiva Lingam, for people that are listening, I'll just describe it more, more than look at it. It's uh, the shape of an egg and it's, it contains all the aspects of universal consciousness within it. You know, it's like the egg, it holds any kind of potentiality, any kind of awareness can be accessed through the consciousness of infinite goodness. And at its base is uh, what's called the yoni. So it's a, a male-female symbol. You know, so uh, the yoni is the base, 
and the male would have kind of a phallus shape. Okay. A lot of people get really attached to that idea. It's not, it's just one of the, it's, you know, because it, it's symbolizing all consciousness. It has a male and a female, but it also has nature and consciousness. It also has cosmic and, you know, the terraform, any of the dualities, you know. What is terraform? The earth. Oh, okay. The earth. So, you know, it's of the earth, but it's also of the of the cosmos. It's, you know, of the water and it's also, you know, of the dry land. It's it's of the day and of the night. It's of the male, it's of the female. It's of, you know, it unites all those all those kind of concepts because it's non it represents non-dual bliss. So it's when the male and the female aspects are united, then you have the consciousness of infinite goodness. That's beautiful. Is it kind of like a yin and yang kind of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's absolutely the same thing as a yin and yang. It's a stone, too, I, I should mention. It's understood that it's one of the oldest things that have been worshipped on the planet. You know, someone just kind of started reflecting on the idea that the, that the stone was consciousness, you know, and from there it kind of developed further. And that is part of like your religion or your spirituality or just your consciousness? Would you call yourself religious or spiritual? Yeah, any of those things apply. Um, honestly, the worship of the lingam is self-inquiry. The worship is actually consists of bathing the lingam in different kinds of pastes and offering flowers to it. And each stage of the worship is a representative aspect of your own spiritual path. And as you go through this process, you start to reflect on your own life in the worship of the stone. So you start to see yourself, you see the consciousness within yourself as the consciousness in the stone. I don't think my consciousness is there yet. (laughs) I don't think my consciousness understands. I want to understand, but I don't think I, so you see yourself in the reflection of a piece of the earth. You're bathing your own self. And I'm saying self, not as the body, as you, you know, but your own self with a capital S, right. you know, your true self, your, your, your soul is representative of bathing your soul as you're bathing the stone. And you bathe the stone every day, right? Yeah. Because when we were there, we were talking about it. I remember that stuck out to me that it's something you take such good care of and you treat with such respect. It's not an animal or a baby. It's a stone, but just the level of respect and time and you develop love for it and you're as you're doing that you're training yourself to come out of the autopilot come out of the heady kind of like judgment of the self and questioning of the self and the doubt of yourself and you you start to love yourself as you love the stone you know if you're seeing yourself in it you're bathing yourself you're seeing the reflection of your spiritual pursuit in the stone it's a symbol I feel like for me, at least that's one of the hardest parts of being a person is self-love. Like the way I speak to myself, I would never talk to somebody else as mean and like just impatiently as I talk to myself. It's one of the things I try to work on in therapy, but just like having like compassion for yourself, the way you would have it for a child or an animal or anybody else. Yeah. So, so in the philosophy, you know, the, the same philosophy, which is non-dual Shaivism is what I'm following, this lineage, it explains those feelings that you're having for yourself when you're hard on yourself and when you're uh, doubting yourself and all those things, they they assign like uh, that they're demons, personal demons, you know, 
and each one of them have names and one, you know, there's a name for self-conceit and there's one for self-deprecation as well, you know, and those are two like really heavy aspects that a lot of, that we all do to ourselves, you know, either we we can be conceited and puffed up and arrogant, or we can be self-deprecating, which is also very egoic. So all these things happen through the mind. So when, when we're, when I'm doing this bathing of the stone, it's trying to, to get out of the mind and start opening up the heart. I think you said this. I might be quoting you at you, but <laughs> so excuse me if I'm quoting. Are you adding me? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's somebody said it and it may have been you. I'm not even sure, but the true peace and the goal is to come directly from the heart. I hope I said it because it sounds good, but I don't think I should. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, it, it is. It's and it, it's a heart opening thing. And these things, like uh, it's crazy what I'm talking about. I'm talking about bathing a stone every day. It sounds insane. These are things that aren't to be understood through the mind because the mind is where all the complications come from. You get past the mind and you start to develop the consciousness, and then the true self. You know, and then. You start to see that in everything, not just yourself. You see it in your lover. You see it in your family. You see it in your coworkers. You see it in every instantaneous interaction that you have in the world. You start to see that consciousness in everything. And that's when I said earlier that the, the normal and the kind of mundane become extraordinary, you know, extraordinary. Everything becomes charged with this love, you know, so it, it's you're building the love up through this discipline of pouring water and milk and flowers over the stone. I think that's so beautiful. And even just having a conversation with you, I'm not in the same place as you, but I feel how present you're being and how present I'm being. And for anyone who's listening, it's just like being here now is this is it. Like, this is the gift. This is life. And just taking a second to appreciate it, I guess. So thank you for taking the time to be here. And I just have to, I have to keep reminding myself during this quarantine that like, this is, this is it. I'm not running towards or from anything. Like I'm just right here talking to somebody that I think is badass and I respect a lot. And I just, I don't know. I just had to stop and be present for a second. Because anything else is total annihilation. You know what I mean? Like the past is annihilated as soon as it becomes the past and the future is annihilated because it hasn't happened yet. You know, it's it's the only place we really can be. It's the only place we function properly because if we dwell in the past or in the future, it sidetracks the whole mission, you know? It sidetracks the happiness, at least for me. I can always find something I did that was stupid and I can always be nervous about something I'm going to do. So to be present is almost this year has been what I'm trying to learn how to be is just be more present because we don't know what's going to happen in the future and nobody really foresaw this coming. So being present this year and coming from the heart, those are the two lessons I'm working on and self-love. So I guess there's three. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're not mutually exclusive all those things each one kind of relies on the other yeah they all go nicely together yeah it's like a triangle so you know if you have all three of them balanced nicely then then you will uh, like a wise man once said the ultimate goal is peace in the heart <laughs> 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 is that, is, 
was that the quote that I didn't say? Yeah, that was your quote, maybe. Or maybe, I don't even know. Maybe I dreamed it. Maybe we, that's our quote. We made it. Yeah. (laughs) Some wise people said. Sorry for whoever uh, we uh, plagiarized. Yeah, whoever, (laughs) which may have been one of us. Um, So now that I'm done, just being excited and telling everybody how excited I am to talk to you. And you're just one of the more interesting human beings I know and super open-minded in a career that I, at least growing up, thought was only for tough, hardcore biker bitches. And like your whole attitude towards it is very different. And it's refreshing because we can get tattoos and like talk spirituality and it's not odd at all. So it was eye-opening to me when we met. It was just a whole different experience. It was really cool. Thank you. I take that as a huge compliment because you know a lot of people and you have a lot of experiences. So <laughs> that, that means a lot to me. And uh, yeah, I came up through that all those modalities in tattooing. Like I worked for a pretty heavy-duty biker and the magic was still always there, even with those weird kind of like interfaces that we would have to go through and like the posturing and all the weird shit it's still underneath it all the the tattoos were always like just kind of coming through you know and we're we're talking before just how like party tattoos or just like i I worked in a tourist town you know so i was tattooing tourists all the time and they would just kind of come in on autopilot and just like pick stuff out not even knowing what they were getting but something deep down i felt like it was always kind of like Ah, you know, there, there, there's some seeds there, some, some like something deeper that, that, that they're looking for. And I don't know what it is and they might not know what it is, but it's happening right now. Like in the moment, like you're saying, yeah, it's kind of, you know, like, and also, especially now there's tattooing on TV, social media is a huge presence on there in, in a lot of circles and stuff like that, but it's still there even beyond all that stuff too. What I found interesting is when you were talking about tattooing has been around since you said kind of forever. Yeah, the oldest remains. So why did the oldest remains have tattooed on them? Like I said earlier, I think it was just like an inherent need to mark oneself, to adorn oneself. No, but I mean the physical, like, was it a dot? Was it a circle? Was it an eyeball? There were some like lines. There were some lines, that, and I'd, I'd read that it was like maybe at the, some property that he might have owned or maybe like a delineation of where he lived, you know, oh, it was like under his knee. It was an, on a man. But then like you, you see like not too much later in different parts of the world, there's like way more elaborate stuff, you know, like stuff that kind of looks like the cave paintings in France. Yeah. You know, like uh, similar to that kind of look, like the same kind of artwork that was being made on the caves they were making on themselves. I've been thinking about the power symbols and how there are a lot of tattoos you see on a lot of people and they just are recurring like eyeballs. And there's a lot of crosses there in a lot of your tattoos. I don't like, is it a mandala? Yeah. 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 Hearts, daggers, snakes swords, naked ladies. And I was just kind of wondering if, A, what's your favorite thing to like tattoo on somebody that is just getting like a souvenir tattoo that you know is a very powerful symbol, but maybe they don't even know it, but you know it. Well, yeah, any of that stuff from the American traditional, the classic American traditional canon of images, I think is really like a useful codex of these just just and it's also like a great because like it was such a like kind of rough and crude approach to doing the, the work but people were 
we're finally starting to get pictures like kind of shaded and colored on them and stuff like that. So everything's really stripped down to its like really like raw form. So like, you know, like you said, like you said, you see like a dagger through a skull. I think a skull might be one of my favorite images. Yeah. And a lot of people see that as a negative image, but I, I don't see it as negative at all. Um, I, I think it's uh, very positive to be able to reflect on the impermanence of life, you know, and like, you know, you think about um, Shakespeare had a skull, you know. And like, yeah, of course. Yeah, it, it's just like it's the existential crisis in, of mankind, you know. Yes, I know that very well. I feel like that's the one of the main things that drives me to make art and drives most people to do most things is the existential crisis of, like you said, I love that, like the tiger in the bushes waiting, like it's going to happen. Yeah. You're, we're all going to die. It's the only thing we for sure know. And it's terrifying because we don't know what that means. So we scramble around our whole lives trying to like create a legacy or have children or leave a positive impact. Or some people are just like burn it down. You see that in politics, just some people are like, well, I'm going to be dead. So I'm just going to get what I need today, right now, what I want, money, power, oil, whatever it is. So I just feel like it's going to be the constant. It's going to be the infinite battle. It's like Star Wars. It's the infinite battle between light and dark. And I think it mostly always comes back to the fact that nobody really wants to die. But like me personally, I don't want to die. But I also don't want to live forever. That sounds exhausting. No. And then you have to think of like what dies, you know, like does your soul die? I don't think it does. Um, Your body dies. Are you your body? I don't think you are. You know, like I think. No, I think that it's like a it's like a the housing like um i feel like the outside i like to think of it like i'm a christmas tree and all the tattoos are my ornaments yes yes <laughs> yeah or or you're the temple but what like what happens inside of the temple is what's really important you can adorn it you can build it however you want you can make the cathedral as beautiful as you want but what happens inside the cathedral is what's important same with the soul and the body i yeah i think it's just like a husk and we can sh- we cast it aside, you know, because that's where, again, where we're talking about existential crisis is, you know, the body consciousness is a huge problem. Oh, God. You know, when you when you, you, you start identifying as the body, you're going to run into all kinds of situations, you know. As a woman in pop music, I know about that. And it is something <laughs> that I just like, it's exhausting. But then I finally have like gotten to this point where I'm just a Christmas tree now. And I like thinking about myself like that because this is the housing for my soul. And if you get too caught up in it, then you're focusing on the wrong shit. You're not focusing on the power that's inside the temple. I think a Christmas tree is an excellent analogy. Keep decorating it and then, you know, keep leaving presents underneath it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you're giving to the world and then you, you put it on the curb uh, come like January 12th. <laughs> I know. That's so sad. The Christmas tree death parade is so sad. <laughs> but that's basically what we're doing. And then, you know, another, you take on another one and you decorate it and you make the presents and you have dinner around it. And then that's gone to the curb. And, you know, it keeps happening, keeps happening. What's the important is what the tree means, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of like the stone you were talking about. Lingam. Shiva Lingam. Shiva Lingam. Yeah. Just in this brief conversation, I feel like I understand the stone more, the Shiva Lingam. 
Next time I see you, I'm going to give you a little one. Oh so my gosh. <laughs> it's, what if it's like a Tamagotchi and I forget to like bathe it? I, I had a ta- Do you know okay. Tamagotchis? <laughs> Are yeah. those like yeah. little toys that would beep at you if you forgot to like electronically <laughs> feed them? I had them in high school and all my Tamagotchis died. The only thing that happens is that you're, you're not bathing yourself. It's just like not taking a bath yourself. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't shower very much. <laughs> From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. After a while, you just start smelling like the material world. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's so true. I need to actually physically bathe more often. I like sometimes will just be like, eh, it's quarantine. Uh, Who am I trying to fool here? Nobody can smell me. And then in the same sentence i'm like no i think i need to take a shower okay when we're done i'm gonna go take a shower you've inspired me in many ways but um i did want to ask you there were a couple things we were texting about that i've never heard the stories and i thought my listeners come here for all things creepy and unexplainable and just supernatural okay and you told me that there was a um psychic nun oh yeah psychic nun in peru and I have to know. I don't know any. I don't know anything else about this story. Just for everyone who's listening, I don't know about this. I just know there's a psychic nun. Okay, so my teacher, my guru, lived in Peru for quite quite some time. I think he was there for over ten years. He lived in the jungle, and uh, he was visiting a church one time that was in the city in Lima. And he said this nun came up to him and grabbed him by the hand and said, "You're a um, oh, you're an evangelist." 
And he was like, um, I'm not an evangelist. No, I, I think you have me mistaken for someone else. And she's like, well, you're bringing a lot of people towards God. And he's a, a guru, you know, he's a, a Vedic guru. And he's also um, a shaman, you know, who lived in the jungle and, and works with the plants. And he brought a lot of people to God through the plants. So she was totally right. So they, he developed a friendship with this nun. And when I was there, he uh, arranged a meeting with me and her. So he didn't come with me, but I had a translator because my Spanish isn't very good at all. And uh, we met this nun and she, it was actually where the church is, the Black Saint Thomas. I don't know if you've seen pictures of know. him before. Wait, I'll pull the Saint Thomas up. Well, you have to look up the Black Saint. So anyway, um, it, it's where he lived. So she brought me up into his room and stuff, which was really, really powerful place. I could tell where he actually lived, where he actually lived, where his bed was. They kind of kept it there. Wow. So uh, upon meeting her immediately, she grabbed my hands and she held my hands and she said, you're here, but you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I was like, oh, my God, I felt horrible. And she's like, no, no, no. You know, and the translator is explaining it. So there's a little bit of like delay. So I'm like kind of reflecting on what she said. And she's like, no, tell him not to feel bad. I mean that he's not doing what is in his life that he was supposed to do. He was supposed to be a a judge or a lawyer. And I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. And I was like, uh, and she's like, what about a police, the police? And I said, oh, my family, a lot of my family members were police. And I was always told that I was going to be a cop when I was a kid, you know? And I never wanted to be, oh, you know, probably when I was younger, I might've wanted to be, but I didn't become a cop. Long story short. So I was like, oh, wow. I somehow like, can't see you being a cop. No. <laughs> it, but it's in my family, like on both yeah. sides. My, both my mother's and my father's fathers were both cops, and my father was a cop. And I have some uncles that were, and then um, my wife's family, there's cops. So I'm surrounded by these law enforcement. Oh, so it's in your lineage, kind of. Well that's, well, that's what she said. She grabbed my hands and she said, Who in your family was a Mason? And I said, my grandfather, that was someone who I was closest with, was my mom's father. And she said, he was from a high order. She's like, you come from a long line of Templars. Like Freemason? Uh, the, the Knights of Templar were, you know, my grandfather was a Freemason, but she said, I came, my whole lineage comes from these Templars who were the ones who protected the, the, the Pope. Oh, wow. You know, and back, back the old, you know, ancient times. And, uh, she held my hand. She was holding my hands and she said, what you do now, you have electric in your hands, which was the tattooing. And, and it's uh, the name of your tattoo shop, by the way. Yeah. Electric <laughs> tattoo. Exactly. So this is what, you know, within maybe two minutes of meeting her. And then she brought me down to the tomb of St. Rosa, who was also buried at, at this, in this monastery where I was at. And uh, she said, lay on, on Rosa's tomb. And she said, do you know the Gayatri mantra, which is a Vedic mantra? So I had no idea how she knew about it. She's a Peruvian nun in the Catholic faith. And I said, I said, yeah, I know the Gayatri mantra. She said, lay on Rosa's tomb and chant the Gayatri mantra. Oh, my God. So, you know, 10 minutes now in this monastery and I'm laying on a, a, a saint's tomb on my back chanting a Vedic Indian mantra in Peru, in Lima, Peru. Oh, that sounds like it could have been transformative. How was it? <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, like, these are things that like when it's happening in the moment, you're just kind of like going through it. And then it's been with me for the rest of my life. I think about it. There's probably 
on a daily, almost daily wow. basis, you know, how the, the, this had something to do, you know, I'm still not quite sure what part of that path was, you know, and then she was telling me all kinds of other things as well, but like, it was really that moment there was something was happening, you know, and, and it, everything started to make sense about like the police. I was always like, why is, why am I come from this cop family? You know, where are all these cops? And, you know, basically that I tried to be the opposite of that. Oh, and, that uh, makes sense. The rebellious. Yeah. I did that with music. My mom it, like wrote country music and I was like, what's the total opposite? Super dancey pop where I like, talk shit on top of it it was like the opposite of classic <laughs> old school country music and now i've like fully come back around and been like oh you know what waylon jennings and johnny cash all that's actually the best it's actually my favorite and i was just being rebellious but she is right that you have electricity in your hands she was right about that and i'm not going to become a cop but yeah i was going to um, ask you i don't know about the cop part <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I, I get it. Like, you know, like the idea, you know, back when you're thinking about the Knights of Templar and the Freemasons and the ancient mystery schools and stuff like that, that's when the law was like morality's law. Yeah. It wasn't like bust, busting kids for smoking weed, right. you know, or like <laughs> oppressing people. It's a different world, I feel like. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I assume it's a completely different world. But I actually don't know that much about the Freemason. Like, I know a little bit about it, but it has a lot of secrecy. Is it a religion? Is it a... It's a, it's a it was a, a secret order, um, you know, which they, you know, they consider it to be like a mystery coming from the mystery schools, the ancient mystery schools of, of uh, Egypt. And... I'm not a Mason personally. I only know of it from what has been kind of passed down through my family, which you're not really supposed to talk about. Oh, well, you don't have to tell me. I'm just curious. <laughs> I, yeah. I can Google well, it. <laughs> well, it has to do with the building of the great temple. There's a great architect that, that is like the master Mason of the craft and the stages of his, you kind of reflect the stages of his initiation through your own personal initiation, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, I was super interested in it once I found out, like I always knew my granddad was into it. But for me, I thought it was just like spaghetti dinners on the weekends, you know, and uh, fundraising and stuff like that. That's what I kind of thought it was. I thought it was just like dudes that wanted to get together and like party. Rotary club. Yeah. (laughs) Like get get away from the ladies and get a little drunk with your boyfriends. That that aspect, I'm sure, exists in it. But when there are people that take the degree seriously and they're initiates, you know, and um. There are people that I know who who are Masons who've gone through the initiation process and I can see the difference in them as they've gone through the different steps, you know, because it all, it's all self-reflection again, you know, it's like what I was talking about earlier with the bathing of the lingam. It's like another way of like recognizing the self, you know, through this process. And there's, there's an actual death ritual in their initiation, like a, um, a symbolic death that you must go through to become a master Mason. A symbolic death ritual? Yeah, because the master Mason that was killed, I'm not going to mention his name because it's an esoteric secret I shouldn't even really talk about. So I'm not from that order, but what I'm going to say is that uh, he was killed, This, this, um, the master Mason. So they kind of, you have to go, it's like it, your death is like an egoic death, so you can take on the initiation to become a higher degree. So interesting. I've always, I, it's really weird. I did some of my very first recordings ever in a, 
empty Masonic Lodge in Santa Monica, like super close to where I'm living now. And I drive by it all the time. And I remember being in there at nighttime and I would just be walking around writing songs in this temple. And I just always was fascinated with it. There were so many very beautiful, interesting looking things and scrolls and wall hangings and all this really beautiful stuff. But I never went deep into what it was. Do you think it informed your music? I think that religion and all kinds of symbols in religion and growing up in the South, which was really religious and I wanted to be really religious and everybody that was popular was really religious, but I was really spiritual and that conflict of, well, you're not a good Catholic or a good Christian if you believe in equal rights or things like that, where there were things I couldn't get past. Like I believe that loving someone else is beautiful and sacred and I don't care what your genitalia is like that is something I've known since I was like three years old and so when I would go to church I would cry I would get on my knees and like cry and be like please like help me understand what I don't get because I know love is good but I and I want to believe in all of this and I want to be part of this whole thing all these popular kids are so into I want to be part of it so bad but I know that love is not bad. It doesn't matter who, what two people are in love. Like, I know it's not wrong. And I just like could not justify, I couldn't get around it in my head. And from there, then I started studying comparative religion and I wanted to, I went to Columbia over the summer. That's like what I did for fun is I sat in on college courses in Nashville. And then over the summer, I went to Columbia to study comparative religion. Cause I was like, maybe there's just something I don't understand. Like why do like the Baptist church that you can't do certain things and dinosaur bones are a test of test of faith and yeah. things like that, where I just be like, I don't understand. So I had to kind of come full circle and study all the religions and spiritualities and temples. And I've traveled all over the world and I'm so lucky. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that your spirituality comes from yourself and it's a connection to you and whatever you want to call it. It's really personal and it's really beautiful and to share it's amazing, but also it's not something I feel like there's been so much death around religion that it's hard. Like even the word God, I think I said that earlier. There's so much baggage to the word God. Highly loaded term. Yeah. Like that's what I feel like I have a connection to, but it is a highly loaded term. So I just call it whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why I really like the consciousness of infinite goodness. You know, I love that. I think that it's such a beautiful name for God or um, expression of God, I should say. Um, I think that, you know, unfortunately in the, as time has worn on, we, we've all kind of confused, spirituality with priestcraft, you know, and whenever the the priests are telling you what God is to you, you're going to run into a lot of problems. And that's like uh, one of the, the basis of a lot of the situations that we're seeing in Christianity. You know, when, when someone's telling you they have the only way, you, you probably shouldn't believe them. Everyone has to find their own path with it and whatever feel like, you know, in your guts when something feels really wrong or something feels really right. And it just always felt really wrong in my like child insides that like because someone was gay, they shouldn't be allowed to be in that temple or that church. 
like that to me just never made any sense. And I could never reconcile that. And that kind of grew into being a huge topic of a lot of my music. And I just wanted to make a place that was super inclusive and safe for anyone to come. And yeah, of course, get drunk if you want to and dance because that's a high vibration too. And just celebrate the now, like your life, celebrate your life. So it's a little bit like nihilistic, but it's also, I don't know, just taking advantage of being alive and being excited about it. I think that's the thing I miss the most this year is not being able to throw gigantic celebrations every night and call it a job. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. I don't think spirituality should ever have been like a dry thing, you know, like it, it doesn't have to be a desert for people to go to, to, for all their, you know, their ways to go die. And it's also something like you don't have to go off into a cave or you don't have to wear orange robe, or you don't have to build a temple in your backyard. You don't have to do any of this stuff. If you're moved to do any of those things, that's fine as well. Yeah. But there's a, a concept of, of false renunciation. It's in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, and Krishna talks about that. You know, it's like basically, do you know the Gita at all? Bhagavad Gita? I don't. Are you Hindu or are you not identify with any of it particularly? For all intents and purposes, yes, because the that's the lineage that I practice is through India. You know, we refer to it as uh, Sanatana Dharma, uh, which is the eternal duty. You know, this is our duty is to understand our human birth. Hindu is a term that was kind of, uh, it was for the colonists, you know, that's yeah. what the English referred to the Indian people from the Hindu Valley. But it's used in India by Indian people. And, you know, it's like, it's not insulting to call someone Hindu at all. People identify as Hindu, but uh, yeah, so it, it, it's along those that that lineage. But the Bhagavad Gita is one of the major works that um, people chant and read and reflect on in the Sanatana Dharma, and it's the story of a warrior who is about to go to war, and he's the battle consists of families on both sides. And the warrior doesn't want to fight because his teachers and his cousins and uncles are on the other side of the battlefield. And uh, he doesn't see any point in it. And God, Lord Krishna, as God, comes down and says, the battle has already been fought. You have no, you're a warrior. Do your duty and do be the best at it, you know. And what, he, what he's telling him to do is like basically, it's basically a message of like, do what you do in your best way. Don't try to be anything else except what you cannot change. That's the hardest thing in life. I feel like accepting what you can't change and coming to peace with things you can't know the answer to. For instance, earlier today, I was speaking with someone about extraterrestrial life and she was speaking about how she'd made contact and through meditation, chanting. And now I'm just like, I'm obsessed with that because I want, I want that experience. I want to see it. I want to feel it because the more I hear about extraterrestrials and people having a connection to God and reincarnation, things like that, it just makes me feel a little more at peace knowing that there's something more to this. Like when I feel that God consciousness or you said infinite. The consciousness of infinite goodness. Oh, that's the name of the painting we got from you. Yeah, it is. Holy shit. <laughs> Well, we already, we got it in the house. We got God in the house. Thanks to you. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about what you can't change, you know, accepting what you can't change. But then you are also talking about aliens and UFOs and extraterrestrials, which is great. 
subject to talk about. Um, oh, yeah. Or just the things you can't change and also the things you can't see or touch or feel and just believing in them. Because I know that there's something out there. Yeah, I think if you if you want it hard enough and if you, if you so desire that it will manifest eventually in your life, you know, you just need to spend some more time with that. I was going through some really heavy sleep paralysis for a long time and uh, it was happening more and more frequently and it was really starting to kind of disturb me. And there were a few times where like in the paralysis, I was starting to kind of feel like there were beings in the room with me. Oh, that sounds so scary. See, I want it until I hear that. And then it sounds terrifying. It was scary because the physical part of it, but I didn't feel it was menacing at all. It was uh, the loss of control of the body was super weird. You know, yeah. and I've heard other people has have had experiences where there was like some demonic things happening, like you know, uh, you know, like a succubus on the chest kind of thing, or like <sighs> you know, being held, held, actually held down by a demon. It wasn't that for me. I felt like I was uh, kind of brought into a different realm. Like the room had changed, and I couldn't move, and there was nothing I could do about it. And when it would happen, I was getting freaked out less and less. You know, becoming a little bit more familiar with the with this uh, phenomena that was happening in my life. So this was like a reoccurring dream. Yeah. Yeah. Where it happened like, you know, maybe a month apart a few times and it was happening a week apart. And then all of a sudden it was happening every night. So in the moment when when it was happening, when it was going down, I was becoming more and more comfortable in this environment of paralysis and with these possible entities in my room. But when I wasn't, when I would finally snap out of it and come out of it and come back into the dimension of being in my bed and like sweating, I'd be so freaked out. And I didn't know, I just didn't know how to, like, uh, I couldn't really, um, if it was happening to me now, I think I would have a better hardware to like kind of deal with it. You know, I, I think my, my focus and my attention could probably serve me better. But then I was panicking. I was much younger. And uh, how, how the whole thing kind of came to a culmination, I was in the sleep paralysis and I heard a car alarm going off in the background. And uh, I started focusing on the car alarm. I was like, wow, that's really weird. This car alarm, and I can't move. And then all of a sudden the car alarm is getting louder and louder. I was like, the car alarm is getting closer. The car is moving closer to me. Why is the alarm coming closer to me? And it was getting so loud that the windows started to shake. Oh, jeez. And I... Uh, I broke out of the paralysis and I got up and I put on a pair of pants. I put them on backwards and I went downstairs. I ran downstairs and roommates actually woke up and followed me outside. And we all got to the front yard and we heard the noise and felt this vibration and it just trailed off and it was gone. And then I had, I had no sleep paralysis from that point on. The police of your lineage came and took the demon away. Um, it could be, I, maybe, you know. <laughs> the demon police. <laughs> the demon police, they come into your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had some demon police in my lineage because I have crazy dreams, like crazy dreams where I'll just be like kicking. I'll be throwing punches. I'm screaming like, fuck you in the middle of the night. And then I'll, it's like, I'll have to get woken up. And Brad will be like, uh, are you okay? And I'll be like, no, I'm really, really mad at you. Cause you, I forget. 
but I'm really mad at you. And they'll be like, you can't be mad at me about dream stuff. And I'm like, well, yes, I can. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> That's like a, that happens like once a week in our household. Well, I think maybe the, that, that need that you're having, that feeling that you want to have with the, with these extraterrestrials, Maybe that's where you're, where you're having those experiences, you know, like, cause I think the dreaming, the waking and the deep sleep state, those three states are all tied together and we compartmentalize them in a way that doesn't serve us well, yeah, you know, it's... cause I think we're getting, we're getting a lot through our dreams and we're getting a lot through deep sleep and we're getting a lot when we're awake. And I don't think it ends just because you lay down, you know, I think that's huge actually that you're having these things happen to you because if there's awareness happening when the mind is turned off, that's really, really bad issue. It's exhausting when I have nightmares because I'll like go to sleep and I'll wake up kind of like you were saying, like just like trying to yell and fight my way out of a dream. And then then when I wake up, it's like morning time and time to do the day. And I'm like, damn it. I've been like fighting monsters for eight hours. Now I need to, to like actually go to sleep and dream about like kittens. What the fuck? <laughs> that's the deep sleep. That's when, uh, when you're undisturbed, you're, you're at peace, you know, but I think, yeah, I think you're sharpening the sword for your daily, daily duties in the, in the dream state, in the dream world. I feel like the extraterrestrials, I'm like sending them an invite into my brain. And at the same time, I'm scared because it's freaky. There's nothing to be afraid of. You think you've like met an extraterrestrial, like for sure. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't scary. You weren't scared? I think, okay, this might not be a popular belief. I think I've met them in my day-to-day interactions, and they just seemed like they were they were human, but they weren't. You know what I mean? Like I My think- mom swears she's part alien, and I, she's not joking. She's like, I swear to God, there's like in her ancestry, there's some sort of like interbreeding with extraterrestrials. Not joking. Yeah, like the Anunnaki or something like that. Or, you know, there's like all these kind of other life forms that supposedly bred into our race. What's Anunnaki? It's like a different kind of humanoids that are half alien, half human. You know, it's like like a tribe of half human, half aliens. I'm not too knowledgeable on this stuff. I just said, you know, in doing some like scant research on UFOs and stuff when I was younger I heard about Anunnaki you know and uh, they were the ones that would give us the pine cone you know ever see like they're holding like pine and that would be like representative of the pineal gland in the the mind oh my god I would have never put that together okay so according to my mom I am just repeating what I've heard she told me so there was this guy named Carl and he's like I can tell you as an alien that you're a part alien and try to find out who invented the microchip and the microwave. And those were gifts from extraterrestrials. Wow. It's like alien intelligence that like the government worked into our daily society or something like that. And now they're in our phones and follow us around everywhere. But this is according to Carl, who is also according to my mother about Carl. So it's like fourth hand information. <laughs> is Carl like is Carl referred to as alien Carl? Like, <laughs> no. She calls him crazy Carl <laughs> though. Very close. Oh crazy Carl. EG Carl said that uh, <laughs> microwaves are a gift from the aliens. No. You know it, it I I it sounds outrageous and insane, but like what about our regular existence isn't outrageous and insane? You know, like the fact that you 
go into a tube, the subterranean, go around the city, then you, you know, it, it drops you off and then you hop on an airplane and fly to a different country. You know, it's like we're living, you know, our, our existence is not so as normal as we perceive it to be, I don't think. You oh, know? I don't think so either. I fully get tripped out about even just the radio, like the radio and then the fact that cell phones and like we're looking at each other in, in real time having a conversation and you are at least what, like 4,000 miles away from me yeah, or 3,000 and we in real time are having a conversation face to face. Like what the fuck? That does not make any sense. Thanks to Carl. Carl. We know. <laughs> we know also deal. the name of my cat. So maybe Carl is the alien <laughs> we've always needed. <laughs> through Carl, we know that the batteries and the microwaves, all the stuff has been given to us through uh, alien technology. <laughs> no, and I think about it and like, I am not high. No. I just sometimes think about technology and I'm like, the fact that I can sit here and look at your face and talk to you and you're so far away is a trip. I think about a lot that like there, there's probably people that are still alive today. They're, they're, it's getting up there in years, but there's people that were alive when there weren't at least as many planes in the sky or any planes at all. You know, like what, what year was the first commercial flight? I, f- I don't know what year. I don't know. What year was the first? I'm looking at Brad. Well, 1903 is like the Wright Brothers. 1903 was the Wright Brothers. Okay. So like our, my grandfather was born in 1919. So, like, people, not, maybe not so much anymore, but uh, 30 years ago, there were people that were alive, or 40 years ago, that, that there weren't any planes in the sky, you well, know? And you would just never be able to, what? I'm sorry. I Wait, just, go ahead and say it. Like, my grandfather passed away a few years ago, and he remembers electricity being put into his barn as a kid. Do you hear that? Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, so, like, what we're living in now you know, it, it's just, it's grown so exponentially, so fast. Like, it's insane. And it continues to go, you know, like, I remember I took a, a, a break from television for 10 years. And when I turned the TV back on and, and actually paid attention to it, I could not believe the speed of everything, how everything was hitting you so much faster. It's crazy. We're downloading stuff in our own minds in ways that no one has ever had before. I sometimes have to take a break from like the consumption of media because it makes me feel like my head's going to explode. I'm not sure if that's like a good kind of thing or a bad thing, but I just sometimes have to like leave the phone at home, take a break, like go on a walk, go smell a flower, look at a tree and be like, I'm going to disengage from the information barrage. It's probably something that we should all do more frequently, but even just to do it like a couple of times in your life, I think it's hugely beneficial. I I was in the jungle for 10 days one time where I wasn't even um, allowed to bring a book with me. Wow. You know, so everything that came out of that experience was all output. There was no input. The only input was the jungle that I was in, you know? Wow. And uh, it was, it was so intense. It was so powerful. It was like, you know, when people say that I had a life changing experience, that was a truly life changing experience for me. It was the first time and probably the only time where there was no input. All the, the only input was natural was nature. And that was yeah. it. Well, cause in times like I would imagine I've been in the Peruvian jungle a long time ago and my mom was there. So I'm not like, That's cool. where I was. Uh, was your mom with you? <laughs> 
My mom was, I wish, but no, she was not there. <laughs> no, my mom was with me. So it was like, I was sneaking out and drinking like a little bit of like, I don't know, some sort of alcohol they made in the middle of the Peruvian jungle and like running around. And, you know, it was like, there was this element of being like a bad young kid. I definitely wasn't on like a spiritual quest quite yet. Sure. I would love to revisit as an adult in my mind because I was like 17. Well, we were, you know, we were talking about extraterrestrials. Like the jungle is a completely different terrestrial experience. You know, like that's, you know, it, it, it was opposite of everything I've ever experienced here, you know, and like, and th- that's happening all over the planet at, you know, as we're living these lives with the cell phones and everything that you said we have to take a break from, you know, and it's like, it's pretty amazing. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. That's what, okay, that was the point was that I would be, if I went there now, and especially if I, um, which I've never done ayahuasca, but apparently it's life-changing, especially if you do it in the Peruvian jungle, from multiple people, I've just heard it's like, it's just really a purge for your brain and body and soul and system of just everything. Yeah, it's it's informed a lot of what I practice and a lot of the art that I make and the way I live my life. So I've been working with that plant for 12 years now, 13 years now. Oh, wow. So, because I've never done it, but let me preface it with, I've heard it lasts for like three days, which I am not about to commit to something for three days. It really doesn't. Um, It only lasts for about seven hours. You're in the afterglow of it 
for three days, which is amazing. And sometimes even three months, but the effect, the effect of drinking the plant only lasts for about seven hours, seven to 10 hours. Is it like, did you do it in Peru in the jungle? I've done it in the States a lot and in Peru, yes, in the jungle. And with like a, would you call a shaman or a guru? With a shaman. Yeah. With a shaman. Yeah. And, um, that it's huge. Like, so it's to me, not only, you know, the plant is a very powerful plant. It's, it contains the knowledge of all the other plants in the jungle. It's like the grandmother plant, you know, it, it holds the basic, the entire schematic of how everything works in the jungle, but also the, the ceremony with the shaman is a truly alchemic experience because uh, what's happening is you're drinking the plant. It's inside of you. The shaman is outside of you singing songs that the plants reacting to the song inside your body. So almost think of like snake charming. Like if there was a snake inside of you and then someone outside of you is playing the flute, that's what's happening with this plant. And the, the Ikaro is, is what the song is called. So it's this powerful experience where, you know, like it, it's true alchemy, true magic is happening when, when the ceremony is conducted in the right manner. I don't know what about that plant in particular. Maybe it's just because I've been so curious about it and it's like I've always wanted to try it and I'm also like terrified of it. And that's also how I feel about acid. It's like I've never done it, really scared of it, highly curious about it. Don't know if I need to try it. There are things like that which might completely mind bend my brain, but I also am scared of it because... Every single time I've drank it, I've been terrified. That never goes away, you know? It's like skydiving, you know, or like, a, and I mean, and I hate to say that because a lot of people approach it as like an adrenaline rush kind of thing too. You know, I, yeah. I think people want to do, be like those spiritual bungee jumpers or whatever, but, uh, I don't want to be any kind of bungee jumper. Hell no, no, <laughs> no, no, not me neither. But, uh, it, there is a level of fear that you kind of have to conquer, you know, and like, you know, because you're kind of like taking yourself out of your body. You know, you're taking yourself out of your mind, you know, when people say you're out of your mind, you know, or like, I got out of my mind on this drug or whatever, you are truly out of your mind. And it's a good thing. It's probably the best thing you could do for yourself is take yourself out of your mind for eight hours, you know, and to let this plant do its work because it's got a huge healing aspect to it. It's got a huge teaching aspect to it. And it has a huge revelatory aspect that can like bring you to higher states of consciousness. You're by far not the first person that's told me that, but yeah, I see when you say out of your mind, I feel like I'm already a little out of my mind. So I am (laughs) scared to get any more out of my mind. I'm not trying to, I'm also trying not to tell you might not ever need to do it and it might not ever happen and your life would be great without it as well. But if you ever have the opportunity and you feel called the nervousness and the anticipation and anxiety you might feel, you can conquer it. You've done a lot more scary stuff in your life. I feel like I used to thrive on anxiety. And now that I've like had a break from it, I'm like, I don't want to feel super anxious all the time. It's a whole, I feel like my life's going to be totally changed after this year. Anxiety sucks, man. Anxiety is like one of the worst. And like, yeah, if you can get there, if you can get to a place in your life where you're experiencing minimal anxiety if not any anxiety matt i think you've you've won god that sounds like heaven (laughs) 
I honestly don't know if I know what that feels like. I, my goal after I had this like crazy trippy experience where I met the consciousness of infinite goodness, my goal became to vibrate on the level of a, a neutron, completely neutral, because then there's like the positive and the negative, and then there's the neutral and you get peace when you're at the neutral. This is what the consciousness of infinite goodness was like. You just got to like bring your levels to be like pure peace. Total peace. If that makes any sense. Do you believe in heaven? I believe in, I believe in reincarnation. Sure. But I don't know if I believe in heaven. I don't think you like go to a place and there's like a guy with a, with a, you know, like a doorman with a, you know, St. Peter, that the guy who checks you in. Oh my God. That'd be the worst. That'd be the worst like childhood trauma, high school shit. If you literally (laughs) die and they're like, sorry, VIP, you're not on the list. You have to go to the less cool place. (laughs) Like story of my life. (laughs) That would suck. I really hope there's not a heaven. I'd be so pissed. Uh, No, I don't think that's what it is. To me, heaven is a place that you can get to in your life where you have no needs. I think that's seven. So I did want to ask you one thing that you texted me about. Okay. The UFOs in the Andes mountains. You brought that up in the same text with the psychic nun. And I just, I have to at least ask you what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Well, it's just, I, I think I should probably should use better grammar. because the, the <laughs> Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's my fault. The, the, the telepathic thing was, um, I met some sadhus in India, or actually one is a saint, the saint in India. Do you know what a sadhu is? No, I was going to ask you. I have no idea what a sadhu is. You put that in the text too, and I was, I didn't know. <laughs> so so there's, there's sadhus in India, and um, the sadhu, a true meaning of a sadhu is someone who's efficient. Like I was saying just, just a second ago, these, these are people that don't have needs, you know, like they... Um, they, they, they eat when people feed them, you know, they just have like a, a cloth. They don't even have clothes. Um, you know, they, and if they don't get fed, they just don't eat. They don't need to eat. They, um, and a lot of them don't talk either. They don't feel the need to have verbal communication. And, uh, but they do communicate telepathically. And I've spent a lot of time with a few of them. One in particularly on a, on a mountain uh, called Mount Arunachala in South India, and he communicates completely telepathically. He doesn't talk to anyone, but he has people that come and sit with him, and he just sits. That's all he does, and he's just sitting and sitting and sitting for hours and hours a day. But when you're with him, there, there's a lot to be learned and a lot to be felt and experienced. And uh, people that are... You know, I, I definitely got something from being with them, but I was there with my teacher who was completely on a on a telepathic communication with them. Like uh, we went there to see him daily and he was getting a lot from him. And uh, they were they were there was this like play going on between the two of them. And I saw that, you know, because I know him very well. And I saw he would chant to him. He would uh, read scripture to him and the, the saint would just sit there and listen and bless us. Oh my God. With like just, with just his eyes. But um, yeah. And not so, say a word and not, that's so crazy. 
I mean, it's not crazy. Yeah. It sounds actually like the least crazy thing, but it just... Yeah, it's actually totally sane. This this person is totally at peace. You know, he's just like, he's a stone, you know, but you feel this joy and it, he, he emanates joy. He vibrates joy and love and also like, just a lot to learn by example, you know, it's inspiring to see somebody like, I'm not going to go to a mountain and just sit there and not talk to anyone. That's not my path, but I get a lot from being around someone like that, you know, to be around someone that has no needs and who has elevated themselves that they can talk to me without even speaking. And they can teach me without even speaking. Did you feel like you were like receiving anything? Oh, totally. A hundred percent. I was receiving so like much messages grief. or oh yeah messages and just like it, it it causes like a reflection upon the self it causes inquiry in self of like wow this person doesn't need anything and this person is beyond the scope of any kind of tyranny you know any kind of psychic tyranny any kind of obligational tyranny any kind of law tyranny any kind of international national tyranny government tyranny you know family tyranny, uh, you know, like wow. a, a, any of the things that plague us in our daily, you know, struggle, he, he's, he doesn't, it, it's not there. So it's just like a clear channel of like truth, you know, and to be able to sit with that and sit near, even to sit near that is like a huge opportunity. The idea of having zero drama with anything or anyone is a hard concept for me to even like wrap my brain around. Me too. But I was actually able to see it. You know, it sounds beautiful. I try to like be less dramatic, but in my world, it's very different than being able to sit and not talk. I don't think I could do that for like an hour. I can't, I wake myself up from yelling. I can't even sleep and not talk. Like, I can't keep my damn mouth shut. But maybe that's just not my path this lifetime. Yeah. I, I, and that's the thing. Like, our, our, what we've done in our, in this life and in prior lives. And I think that kind of determines that, you know, like, we, we have to have some drama in our lives because, you know, we were drawn towards it. I think people are naturally drawn towards drama. This is my own hypothesizing happening in my brain, but I think people like having drama. So then they don't have to focus on anything inward. But so the drama of like television, politics, friends, high school, whatever's going on, celebrity culture, it just like is a great distraction from having to like look inward. Yeah. I think, you know, there's huge dopamine hits from all that, what do they call it? Doom scrolling. Yeah. When you're like scrolling through, through like Twitter and stuff. Oh God, especially with the election and stuff. Yeah. I was so guilty of it. Me too. I was completely consumed by it. But like, I see what you're getting from doing that is just like tiny, like dirty versions of what you could be getting if you just put it all aside and go inward. I know it feels really dirty. That's the exact word I would use to like describe is whenever I like am looking through that kind of stuff, I feel like, I hope like no one sees me doing this because I'm not proud of it. Like it feels icky. I'm like, why are you being like, why are you looking at this shit? It's going to make you feel bad. But then I do it. It's the weirdest thing. I think there's like a dopamine effect, you know, that you get from it, you know, and I've heard like someone recently was explaining it to me that like when you see someone that you think is right, 
you know, in the midst of all this, you know, like, you know, whatever the, the prosecutor that's going to take out Trump or the person, yeah. you know, the, the president that wins or whatever, when you align yourself with those people, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. This, this person's on my side, you know, and you identify with that. There's like a, a dopamine effect with that, you know, yeah, and that's like, why we always want to go back to that. Yeah, exactly. There's some merit in there somewhere, you know, maybe that like we're trying to align ourselves with good, you know, and, and like, it's also like we're in a fucking seriously crazy time on the planet. So I think it's important to kind of pay attention to it in some respects, but we can't yeah. let it, we can't let it dictate who we really are. No, it's so, it's really like, it's confusing because sometimes I'll not have any idea what or who someone's talking about. So I'll feel out of touch with some sort of cultural reference, but at the other end, my mom kind of raised us not to, we didn't watch cartoons. We didn't really watch movies. Like I saw Con Air and I saw Face Off for the first time like this year and it blew my fucking mind. <laughs> and, but like everyone else I know is like, yeah, I saw that when I was 10. Where have you been? And my mom just like was like, go outside, write songs, catch fireflies, don't go on a, a TV. No. So I don't even like the cartoons I see in really nice pieces of art and there's like a cartoon. I don't know who the cartoon is. I feel so stupid, but it's also because I was just being present in my life as a child. Cause that was the way my mom raised me. So it's this weird thing. I don't get a lot of cultural references though. You know, that what made me, what that made me think of, and it's, it's a kind of a weird, obscure reference, but like, do you remember when there was that huge monsoon? There was a huge tidal wave. I think it happened in like, like early 2000s. Oh, in Japan? No, not the J Japanese one. There was one right before that. It was like, yeah, I think it happened like in the Fiji Islands. I do there. remember what you're talking about. Yeah. So I, what, I remember hearing that like, first there was a huge wave and it crashed on the beach and it receded and it brought all these fish onto the beach and like all these children and all, even like villagers came out and like went and looked at the fish cause they were fish they had never seen before, you know, oh. cause they came from deep in the ocean and then the big wave came oh, no. and hit them. And uh, I feel like that kind of happens with us when we, we haven't been exposed to stuff like the age of wonder, you know, like, and the, and curiosity, like, how that can definitely bring us to a demise, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm, I would be there staring at a fish from the deep ocean. I would be right a front and center for that. Yeah. <laughs> or watching con air while the, you know, while <laughs> yeah. the, while, while Rome is burning, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I'll watch so much TV, you know, all, you know, I'm sitting in the temple right now. I'm going to go inside and I'll watch TV you know, I'm, that makes me feel good about myself, though. You're sitting in a temple you built that you have made. It's a beautiful piece of art. You're a magical, mystical human. And you're about to go inside and watch TV. And I might go watch Nicolas Cage movie. And like, that's human. It's OK. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, we shouldn't be so hard on, hard on ourselves. And like when you see, I don't know, it, I, I'm not I'm not about the rules. You know, like all the different rules. I, I, lo I love uh, lineage and I love teachings and I love um, 
preserving those things and uh, like abiding by them and like trying to stick to them as close to being prescribed as possible, but you have to do it your own way for sure. I agree. All right. Can I ask you a couple just stupid questions and then, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's get stupid. Let's get stupid. We're about to get stupid here. (laughs) Would you rather be, well, this one, I think you already, I think I know the answer. Okay. Would you rather be abducted by aliens or sleep in a truly haunted house alone for a night? Uh, I'd go for the alien abduction. See, I think I might too. But I'm also like, no shade to the ghosts because some ghosts can be friendly. That's in my experience. Okay. What would be like your style of haunting if and when you're a ghost? Oh, if I were to haunt someone? Yeah. Like, how would we know it's you? Oh, okay. Jeez, that's a great question. I would like, I would love to be able to play an instrument as a ghost, (laughs) you know, like a flute, you know, like if you heard the flute playing, you're like, oh, he's here. (laughs) (laughs) Like Jethro Tull. I was in a haunted house one time where if you play the piano, the ghost would start kicking around upstairs. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it didn't seem like it was happy though. I feel like it was, it was their piano and they didn't want other people playing it. Oh, fair. Okay, so you can be a ghost that plays the flute. Do you play the flute in real life? I, I do, yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I was about to say it's a little random, but yeah. I'll know it's you if I ever hear a flute flying by. A ghost flute. A ghost flute. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've thought about mine. I don't know what I would do. I would probably just like scare the shit out of people just for fun, but I don't know. Wouldn't you okay. sing? You, wouldn't you be a singer, like a singing ghost? No, I sing when I get paid. <laughs> you don't need anything if you're a ghost. Uh, but yeah, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to make a great ghost song? Like, Maybe. Actually, you know what? That's just me being a jackass. I would actually probably... Because I've been singing my whole life since I was a little kid. Like to the point where my brother who's on the call, but he's muted. And my mom would be like, shut up. Go outside. If you're going to sing, go outside and go into the bushes so we can't hear you. You're so annoying. And I was like, okay. But that's when I was trying to learn how to yodel. And so I was like doing these like super annoying like yodels. And they're like, Go the fuck outside. <laughs> so I think if I were a ghost, it would be like me like yodeling. I'd be the yodeling ghost. That's me. That's my ghost. <laughs> I hope I never encounter a yodeling ghost. <laughs> and a flute. A we could haunt together. A flute and a yodeler. It sounds like hell. <laughs> the, the worst band ever. <laughs> Maybe there is a heaven and hell it would be me and you haunting someone <laughs> together. Yeah. Yeah, we better never haunt anybody. That would suck. <laughs> that sounds really fun, actually. Let's plan on meeting up out there when we're done here. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. If you could be haunted by anyone, who would it be? Oh, I, you know who it would be? And this is, this is uh, kind of crazy because I really wanted to be haunted by... Eugene O'Neill. You know who that is? No, who's that? He was a playwright. He wrote The Iceman Cometh. And this and this is the only reason why I'm not a huge fan of Eugene O'Neill. It's because I lived in a house that Eugene O'Neill bought for his daughter. And I used to like I used to think that I would have like an encounter with him. So I, I I've already been like pursuing this ghost of Eugene O'Neill for a while. Um when I when I was younger. I'll say a prayer for him to get you. Check it out though. His daughter was married to Charlie Chaplin. 
So I was also wanting the Charlie Chaplin haunting as well. So it was oh, like you kind wanted of an in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted like <laughs> I wanted to know those those dudes, you know. And it's so crazy that my granddad, who is a Freemason, he bought the house from Charlie Chaplin's widow and her daughter, and that was like kind of the house I grew up in. And it felt haunted, but I never had any experiences with those the, with Charlie Chaplin or Eugene O'Neill. As far as I know, neither of them ever stepped foot in those homes. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'll pray for you to get haunted. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe one day I'll I'll, I'll get haunted by some uh, non, again, non, non talking. Yeah. Charlie Chaplin. uh, That would be a nice, easy, easy haunt. Just (laughs) no talking. Just like tap dancing. (laughs) No yodeling. God, that'd be a nightmare. Okay, so we've been chatting for like two hours. So before you go, do you want to promote whatever you want to promote? Okay, uh, the best way to find me is probably Instagram. My Instagram handle is Robert Ryan three two three. I just a book came out today, and it's part of an artist series called Black Dagger. And um, cool. My volume is number twelve, and then I have a new book coming out that has been spending a lot of time on during this quarantine, which is a book of all paintings of deities and how I interface with them and my relation to them and what I know about them. Beautiful. And that should be coming out in like, uh, hopefully around April, I hope. Okay, great. Everybody follow Robert. If you want a tattoo, electric tattoo, that's what it's called, right? Electric. Electric tattoo in Asbury Park, New Jersey, home of the boss. Home of the boss. And Robert Ryan. Um, thank you very much. And so good to see you. So good to see you too. And stay well, stay COVID free. And we'll see you hopefully soon. Keep on creeping on. Stay creepy, San Diego. Goodbye. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.